0: Well, Meredith just read. She just read straight from the scriptures. Um, and whether you're, if you're, if you're new to church, church, you haven't been to church in a while. Um, if you've been in church for a long time, if you've considered yourself a Christian for many years, I want you guys to recognize something this morning. That this is, as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we consider this the Word of God. We consider this that God spoke this, men who were inspired by God wrote this down and it's been passed on to us so when we read the scripture that's God speaking to us when we approach the word I want you guys to just have that attitude, when we approach this time right now, I want you to have that attitude that God is speaking to you this morning that uh, he wants you to hear his voice this morning so uh, we've been going through we've been going through the spiritual disciplines um Last week we dealt with generosity and giving. This week we're going to talk about prayer and a little bit fasting tacked on to the end of that. So, um, let me throw some, well actually before I get started, uh, yesterday I just want to say we did, we did a men's ball hockey tournament yesterday and. how we did. Yeah, we did. They, yeah, we did. <laughs> and <That's fun>. it <laughs> was just an awesome, awesome time. It was a bunch of games, ball hockey, guys, community. Um, and we accomplished, we accomplished what we set out to do yesterday. I believe. Uh, that we wanted to show, we wanted to show guys we invited, guys here in Trinity Life, that we can have genuine community in this city. So that happened yesterday. So it was so exciting. Um, yeah, it was, it was an awesome time. Uh, so thank you for everyone who did that, who planned for it who did the, the weeks, months of preparing for it, who came yesterday and showed up, not expecting to help out, but did. Um, all, all of that, it, it went so well. Um, and also, the harmonica, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the egg shaker. Like, that was awesome. We bought our girls like little instruments for Christmas, like little first, first play drum. We have a three-year-old and a two-year-old drum set, I'd play with more of the drum than they do. Um, it came with a harmonica, a little flute, and a piano or something. Um, and Emerson loves the harmonica, probably because it's purple, but it's really hard for her to like blow into it. But she did it the other day and she was so excited. So I'm sure she, was she in here for the, uh, she have to catch the video maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, that was pretty sweet. So. Spiritual disciplines. Let me throw up a quote for you on prayer. Um, Let's talk about first what prayer is. Because like I said, some of you guys, you may have no idea what prayer is, um, how how a Christian views prayer. So let's let's just go through this. This is a quote from Mother Teresa. Prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at His disposition and listening to His voice in the depth of our hearts. So Mother Teresa gets... Um, She emphasizes something in particular there. She emphasizes um, putting ourselves in the hands of God, listening to God, hearing His voice. That's an aspect of prayer that if you've been a believer for a long time, you may have lost. That's an aspect of prayer that um, if you're a non-believer, if you're not a follower of Christ, if if you feel far from God, that maybe you've never had or thought prayer was for that purpose. Something she says here too, prayer is not asking. Um, I think she's saying that to emphasize the latter. Because prayer is asking. Prayer is definitely asking. So, and, and our God loves that we ask Him. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Next, next, uh, next quote. This guy's name is Soren Kierkegaard. He's a... He's... Uh, many consider him the father of ex- existentialism. So... 16th century philosopher, 1617, something like that. Um, he says the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. So he also he also pits two things against each other, um, and and he says and he hits on something. He says prayer is about changing yourself uh, and not necessarily changing God, and that's that's the truth. Um, but what he misses is that, yeah, we actually do pray to, to influence God. That sounds weird, right? But prayer changes things. If if we don't believe that, if I don't believe that, I want to put so much onus on prayer. Prayer changes things. Um, so he he kind of dismisses one to highlight at the other. The other is, yeah, prayer changes things here too. So that's, that's him next guy you're probably all familiar with, most of you are familiar with, Friedrich Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, He says, and this guy's famous for the God is dead quote. Um, It's funny, he's actually not the one who coined that that phrase. Hegel had been using that for years. He's the one who just made it famous. Um, And it's actually, we actually rip that quote out of context a lot. Um, He says God is dead. The second part of that is because we had killed him. Because... We've killed him in our society, in our lives. Um, We've dismissed him. So he's actually pointing out a truth in society. Um, He says this. He says, I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time. So he has a certain assumption about God there. Um, Prayer prayer is praising God. Um, The thing he's missing is, if, if he's God, then he deserves our praise. And and prayer isn't always just praising God, right? So he misses a little bit there. Next quote: Sylvia Plath. She is uh, an American poet. I think she died when she was 30, committed suicide, depression, um, had a beautiful family, won the Pulitzer Prize, and then committed suicide at 30 by a pretty pretty egregious in a pretty egregious manner. So. She says this, so take this in light of her, her battle with mental illness and, and things in her life. She says, I talk to God, but the sky is empty. The sky is empty. So prayer is this. It's us talking to God, but it's also something else. It's us learning that God talks to us through prayer. Next quote. Two more quotes. Both by, both by uh, Gandhi. He starts off his quote, is, I thought this is pretty peculiar, because he starts off his quote the same as Mother Teresa starts off, her quote on prayer. I don't know if it's because they're in the same context, or I'm, I'm not sure why. But he says same thing as Mother Teresa, prayer is not asking. It is a longing of the soul. It is a daily admission of one's weakness. It's better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. What he's getting there at there is exactly what Meredith just read. Over there. You were over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so exactly what Meredith just read. Um, that the hypocrites, they stand, they stand in the marketplace, they stand on the street corner, and, and they're just throwing out empty phrases. They're just throwing things out. And Gandhi says, that's not prayer. Prayer isn't just throwing words out throwing cliches out, aphorisms. It's not just throwing those things out. It's doing something from here, from your heart. His second quote, he says, the inner voice is something which cannot be described in words. So he recognizes that prayer is something that's internal, that's happening internally too. He says, but sometimes we have a positive feeling that something in us prompts us to do a certain thing. The time when I learned to recognize this voice, was I may say, the time when I started praying regularly. Now Gandhi isn't a believer. Gandhi isn't a believer in Christ. He's not a Christian. He was, he was Hindu. He did a lot to change society in India. But he's talking about prayer. So today we're going to talk about what makes prayer distinctive for a Christian. Well, how Jesus is talking about prayer. Um, and you notice here though he hits on something. He says, I learned to recognize that voice when before I just dismissed it, but now I'm beginning to recognize it when I started praying regularly. And that's what Jesus gets at. Uh, there, Jesus says, we, if we are his followers, if we are, if we are believers in him, if, if, um, if we are following him, then, then we should know his voice. Then we will recognize it. And prayer teach, uh, teaches us to do that. Go to the next thing. Um, Daniel said this last week. We're going to take, take this all throughout our our, our um, series on spiritual disciplines. It says, every discipline is a shadow of a greater reality in the kingdom of God. So every discipline is a shadow of a greater reality in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means that we don't, we don't do the disciplines. We don't pray just to pray. We don't pray to look good before others. We didn't pray up here so that um, we could impress you guys. You know, you don't, you don't pray. Uh, it's, it's not a ritual. It's not an exercise. So when we speak about prayer, when we're going to talk about it today, uh, I'm not giving you the ten rules of prayer. I'm not giving you, um, you know, if you pray once an hour, Every day, for the rest of your life, this will happen in your life. You know, as, as Christians, we don't say, you need to pray this many times a day, that God wants this many times of, times of prayer from you each day, and that, um, and that that is how you win His favor. Because prayer isn't about winning God's favor. Prayer is an exercise out of knowing we have God's favor. Do you hear that? Prayer isn't winning God's favor. It's an exercise that's born out of knowing we have God's favor already. So the Bible says that uh, we should pray without ceasing. So it's an attitude. Now that doesn't mean that like we're praying all the all the time, all the time, all the time. Like you know, um, it's an attitude. It's a life. It's it's recognizing that as a believer in Christ, we have a constant connection to the Father. That we have an instant accessibility through the blood of Jesus Christ, that he is the mediator for us, that we have that, that whenever I want to, I can access the God of the universe. And that's what's awesome about prayer. Um, Again, if you've been a believer for a long time, or even for a short time, prayer, you, you may think prayer is, oh, well, that's just what I do now. But prayer is you accessing the God of the universe. If you're an unbeliever in here, know that. And when we pray, when we pray just now, we're speaking to the God of the universe, the God who created everything that we see, the God who we know uh, has ordained a certain salvation history through Jesus Christ and that has saved us. So, um, what does prayer do then? What is prayer a shadow of? We talked about giving and generosity last week. Prayer cultivates a certain thing in us. It cultivates humility. So, Prayer cultivates humility in us, and it's an outward representation of being led by the Spirit. So, when you pray and your prayers are, you feel like, wow, they're really fruitful, you've you've, um, just really connected with God, it's because you're being Spirit-led. And God is cultivating something inside you. He's cultivating a heart of humility. So there's... There's, um, there's four cardinal virtues. When this monk in the 12th century, his name is St. Bernard of Clairvaux, when he was asked what the four carnal virtues were, which are justice, courage, moderation, and wisdom. Uh, when he was asked what those were, he said, humility, humility, humility. He's like, oh, and humility. So he said all humility. Um, and, and that's what prayer is doing in us. And he, you know, the fathers have recognized that all throughout. So, if prayer is cultivating humility in us, then what is, what is um, stopping us from praying? What, what is a, uh, what's the enemy of our prayer life? Of living a life of prayer? Yeah. Someone say pride? Yeah, said that? There? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pride is... Pride, pride is, is the enemy. It's the opposite of humility. It's the enemy of prayer. Um, and this is where we see a distinct, a distinct break in Christian thought and, and Greek philosophy. Aristotle calls pride one of the virtues. He says pride is a virtue. Um, and Christianity says pride is the greatest of all vices. It's, it's the opposite of a virtue. So we have kind of a, a break there. And before you think Aristotle is crazy, though... Um, Think about what you say to yourself and others about pride. Um, and you tell people, man, you're better than that. How can you let her treat you that way? How can you let him talk to you like that? Like, that's pride in us, right? And we and we encourage that in others, because like, we say that. Like, how can you let him talk to you like that? You know? Um, and we're encouraging pride in that person. So, <laughs> yesterday... Uh, after ball hockey, after an awesome day of kicking butt, <laughs> <laughs> we... No problem. <private. laughs> <laughs> we, um, we went to the store. And we're in the store, and we're talking, we're looking for we're looking for, like, bedding. Um, like sheets and stuff like that. And, and uh, this lady comes up, and she says, "Hey, can I help you?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I tell her what we're looking for." And she asked me a question, and it's irrelevant. That's why I'm not telling you what question it was. She asked me a question, and I respond to her, and she responds. She snaps at me because she doesn't like my response, which was which wasn't a. I just said we're looking for this, and and so it was a weird response that she had, like really weird, and. I was taken aback because me, my two daughters, my three-year-old, two-year-old are there, like, they're just having fun. I'm like, wow, like, why'd she just talk to me like that? Um, And and I said to her, do you want to help us? Or do you just want to get frustrated? And and she, (laughs) she, she was like, she was like, I'm not getting frustrated, I want to help you. And, and I said, well, this is what we're looking for, and, and then she went off again. And I was like, well, you know, we'll just look, and I'm not exaggerating. Like, most people, when they tell stories like this, they downplay, like, how attitude-y they were. Uh-huh. I, I'm not doing that. I actually <laughs> legitimately said, you can ask my wife. Oh, um, you were just asking her. I said, okay, that's, I said, that's okay. We can just help ourselves. I said, we, we, we can just do this ourselves. And, and I said, thank you. I said, we need to ourselves, thank you. And she said, you're welcome. And I walked off. And, and so, like, that whole thing, like, in my mind, that's okay. You're probably thinking, well, that's not so bad. The bad part is the second part. When she said, you're welcome, that awoke the sleeping pride giant. <laughs> pride was like... Like... <laughs> 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 What? What did she just say? That really wasn't meaning thank you, right? It was just something I said. So when she said, you're welcome, I was like, oh no. (laughs) I am not (laughs) welcome. So, (laughs) it was, uh, I mean, it just awoke that. And when pride wakes up in me, I don't think this is just particular to me, um, it's grumpy, you know? (laughs) And she was walking off at this point, and I turned around, and I went to her, and I said, look, and then, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> we won't go back to that <laughs> to say the least. Um, the first part was okay. The part I had to ask forgiveness for was when that pride woke up in me, and I was like, I shouldn't be treated that way. I deserve better than that. And that was just from my wicked heart in here thinking that, right? So, that's the enemy of a prayerful life. (laughs) Or it caused me to to seek God and say, oh, I need need you, God. So, um, C.S. Lewis says this about pride. This is from Mere Christianity. If you haven't read this book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, most of you probably read like Chronicles of Narnia. (laughs) But C.S. Lewis is a, um, I mean, he's a theologian first. Chronicles of Narnia is, like, so theological, even though it's written to kids. Um, He wrote this book called Mere Christianity, um, and it's a book I have probably read three times. It's a small little book, and I still don't understand the breadth of what he's getting at. So he says this. He says, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else. And of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular. And no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Pride is is the greatest sin in terms of it, it messes us up. It's a foundation for a lot of sin. Um, It's the original sin. Adam was prideful. Adam said, I don't need God. I can do this myself. And then we have the fall. It's a sin addressed in the first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. God is saying, stop being prideful. I'm God, yet you're not. Um, So, this first Ten Commandments... Jesus also addresses it when he begins the Sermon on the Mount. It's the first beatitudes, the first blessing. He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, you have to be poor in spirit to enter the kingdom. You have to put your pride aside. You have to say, Jesus, yeah, I can't do this myself. I can't be good enough to win your favor. I can't be good enough to enter into heaven. And that's not what it's about. It's about recognizing that you have been good enough, you are good enough, you are perfection, and I can just rest in you. That takes us putting our pride aside and saying we can't do it ourselves. So why pray? What does prayer do? What's the point? For the believer, I believe there's three things. It cultivates humility. We just talked about that. It increases our dependence on God. So... Um, as we pray, we're increasingly saying God because we're showing Him through our actions that we're depending on you for these things. And the third thing, it aligns you with God's will. So, because we're talking to God. We're talking to God through prayer. We're talking, prayer is also Him talking to us. We just need to learn to hear that. Um, And it aligns our will with God. Daniel and I, we are, We didn't know each other a year ago. We both moved to the city, same time, to plant separate churches, to start separate churches like this in our city. And then we decided, hey, let's do it together. Spirit's bringing us together. We prayed about it, um, and we came together to do it. Well, I didn't know Daniel. I didn't know his personality. I didn't know his his giftings. I didn't know anything about him. Um, We had to do a lot of talking to get to where we're at now. We do a lot of talking. Every day, basically, um, to get to where we at now. So that's what prayer does for us in God. It aligns us with with God's will. Now, there's other things that do that too. Um, listening to other people, other believers speak. God speaks to other believers. Reading the scriptures. Um, but prayer is also an avenue that does that that we've neglected. So, um, what about a non-believer then? What does what does prayer do? Gandhi says he prays. Um, you have, there's, there's many people who are, who aren't Christians who pray. There's many people who are atheists who, who maybe consider themselves to pray. Um, my mom, uh, she said that she prayed. Uh, she grew up Buddhist. Um, and she said she prayed before she became a Christian. Um, and she prayed, she just prayed. I was like, to what? She said, well, I, I don't know. I just, I just prayed. Um, when I was in Thailand in 06 I uh, met a guy who, he was our Songtao driver. A song Tao is like a really cheap taxi. It's not really a taxi. It's like 81 packed in the back of a pickup truck bed. Um, <laughs> they have benches, but it's really cheap. So um, our Songtaw driver, the first day I met him, we started talking to him. And um, he was also the bellman at our hotel. So we, we built a, we were there for a couple of weeks, built a relationship with him through the hotel, through through him driving us around. Uh, he took us to some great places, like in and out of nowhere. I mean, just just really awesome. Uh, but in his Songtao, he has he has like all these things hanging from his rearview mirror. This guy's name is Wit. He has all these things hanging from his rearview mirror, and um, and they're just like lucky charms, basically, um, like not the cereal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although, if that worked for him, he would put it up there. Like He had just whatever whatever thought, if he had a good day at work, and something was sitting next to him, like a pen, he would hook that up there, put it on his rearview mirror, because that pen was what made him have a good day at work. Um, so he had all kinds of stuff, like with really no meaning, just he thought they were lucky. Um, so we started talking about prayer, and... And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I, I pray all the time. And I asked him the same question. I said, because uh, my mom's Thai, So I asked him the same question. He's grown up much like my mom. Um, I asked him, well, who do you pray to? And why? Why do you pray? And he never considered that before. He never thought, I don't know why I pray. It was almost like a natural thing in him that he had to just, talk things out with something or someone or the air uh, I'm not sure and it wasn't until that point in his life that he thought about well, I don't know like maybe we should talk about this <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should talk about what prayer is and so that, that was the first day we met him and it commenced just a two week journey of us teaching him what that looked like what we believed it looked like so um so for the non-believer, for for if you're in here and you're you're like, yeah, I've never prayed before. I don't know really what prayer is. Um, I don't even know how I would pray. Um, that's what we're going to talk about. So how should you pray? Well, prayer is learned. That's important to recognize. Like, um, with he was praying, but he didn't really know how to pray or what to pray. He just heard. He just heard some of his, uh, his Buddhist monk friends praying, and he thought, okay, I'll just do it that way. So prayer is learned. That's why the disciples come up to Jesus, and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Um, how should we pray? And Jesus says, well, here's a template. Here's a, here's a way for you to pray. Here's a model for you to look at. Um, so we see Jesus do that in this passage. We see him do it in Luke 11, too. And he teaches his disciples to pray in a certain way. And it's based on something specific. So he, he gives them this parable. After they teach him how to pray, he just gives them the model prayer. Then he gives them a parable to explain it. And he says, here's, he says, here's a story. Um, actually, I'm going to skip the story. You guys can go back and look at the parable. But basically, he says, you're supposed to pray boldly. You're, not supposed, to, you're supposed to pray ignoring convention is what the word literally means. Uh, it's impudent in, the, in, in your Bible. Say impudent. He says, you're supposed to pray with impudence. You're supposed to pray ignoring convention and you're supposed to pray boldly because that's the kind of God you serve. That's the kind of God you're praying to. So you're appealing to God's character when you're praying. That's important to recognize. So, um, boldly, yes. I think a lot of times we think we have to pray heroically. We have to have like the right phrases to, to get God's attention. We have to say things the right way. You have to sound awesome when we pray. Like, God doesn't, that, God doesn't care about those things. Like, heroic praise is good sometimes, but he doesn't, he doesn't care about those empty phrases. He cares about your heart. So um, don't feel like, if, if you're learning how to pray, don't feel like you have to pray for some, like someone who's been praying for, for uh, 20 years of their life. Um, when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us how to pray, he doesn't give them all these, all, he doesn't tell them, he doesn't give them a, a difficult model to follow, basically. He gives them something really bare bones, really simple, that we'll walk through. Um, so, Friday, this past Friday, Emerson comes into my room. Emerson is my three-year-old. Um, she woke up early on Friday. I'm I'm in my room doing devotions. And she and I'm praying. I have my Bible open and I'm praying. Emerson walks into my room, and um, and she just crawls onto the bed. It's next to me, and, and she notices that. I mean, she's three. She notices I have my Bible out, and that when she walked in, I had I had my head bowed. Um, let me say a word on that. Like bowing our heads, closing our eyes. Like that's that's what we do to limit distractions. That's not a magical, that's not a magical potion for prayer. Jesus prayed mostly with his eyes open, looking up into the heavens. Um, but Jesus is more connected to the Father than I am. So to limit distractions, I have to close my eyes. Um, so yeah, note that about praying. Um, so Emerson comes in. She sees, she sees that, and she says, she says, "Hey, Daddy, let's pray. I want to pray." Um, and she just commences praying and in that moment I thought wow prayer is so simple it is so easy my three year old is praying to the God of the universe she doesn't even recognize it right um, I told her <laughs> she's like really the universe <laughs> um, <laughs> I, mean, I told her and I was like and she said I love Jesus and I said why do you love Jesus she said, well, because you do. <laughs> and it was in that moment that I realized that prayer is a learned thing. You know, we're passing things down. <laughs> I My wife is on the front row, like, crying. <laughs> She's going to make me cry. Um, she just says, because you do. And um, as that moment, I realized, well, wow, prayer is a learned thing. She just sees us, and she wants that because she realizes it does something. So, um, throw up the next slide. Um, spiritual discipline. We said, we gave this definition to you guys last week. Spiritual discipline is the work and grace applied in partnership with the Holy Spirit to work out, not work for, that's I mentioned earlier, your identity and your destiny in Christ. It is spiritual and practical. It is intentional and spirit-led. So let's talk about identity. The model prayer starts off like this. Our Father. That's it. That's how it starts. Father. Immediately Jesus establishes the disciples' identity. Immediately he's saying, you are a son of the living God. You are a daughter of the living God. You are a child of God. And he's your Father. And what's unique about this is the old in the Old Testament, that that phrase, Father, or that word, Father, isn't used in the first person directly to the Father. It's used, it's used a few times saying, God is our Father, God is our Father, but it's never in direct Father to God. So it's unique when Jesus says, we need to look at God as our Father, he's establishing something very unique here. He's saying, in, and he'll say this later, in me, we're all sons <coughs> and daughters of, of Christ. So he establishes identity right from the beginning. This is what the hypocrites were missing in the, first few, in the first few verses here. They're praying for someone else's identity. They're praying for their own identity. They're not praying because they recognize that they're a child of God. They're praying because they want to win favor with other people. They're, they want to look pious. They want to look holy. They want to look connected to God. And, and, Jesus, and Jesus says, first of all, recognize that God is your father and you're a child of, of, of his. He also establishes identity. He says this in verse 10, your kingdom come, or destiny, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right off the bat, he says, this is your identity, and then he says, this is your destiny, that you would pray this, that God, your kingdom will be done, and God, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about how powerful that prayer is. If we pray that, we're praying that heaven and the, the, um, the way the kingdom works up there would be established the same way here on this earth. And that's where we find our destiny. That's where we are released into our destiny. If we recognize our identity, we're released into our destiny with that. So, C.S. Lewis says this. He says there's two types of people in the end. Those that say to God those that look up to God and say, thy will be done, and those who God looks at and says, well, thy will be done, because that's what you want. So, here we have two kingdoms pitted against each other. The kingdom of self, which he represents through the hypocrites in the the previous verses, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which is what we've been talking about through this whole time. So it's the difference between pride and humility. It's the difference between seeking the kingdom of yourself the kingdom of heaven. So, um, and it can't be in between. That's key. If you're seeking the kingdom of yourself, you are not seeking the kingdom of heaven. If you're clothed in pride, you're not clothed in humility. There's three classical laws of logic. Um, you know, one, one is the law of non-contradiction. Things can they just can't be that. I can't be pregnant and not pregnant at the same time just can't happen. Those are, those are contradictory things. Um, and that's the, same way, that's the same way with this. Like we can't be after the kingdom of ourself and the kingdom of God at the same time. So Jesus is saying the hypocrites are after themselves. They're clothed in pride and hubris. But now he's saying this is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like humility. It looks like meekness. Not weakness, but meekness. And there's power in humility. There's power in meekness. It looks like the kingdom of heaven it looks like you're chasing after the kingdom of God. So, um, and then he goes on. And I love how this worked out for us because this is our mission statement. Discovering identity and destiny in Christ, influencing our city and the world. And we see that in the verses 11 through 13 that our city and our world are going to be influenced. He says, give us this day our daily bread, verse 11, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You notice that verses 11 to 13 there are all joined by a conjunction, and. So they all go together. So you have, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like those are separate statements. And then he connects the next three statements with and. He says this, and this, and this. So it's a series of of statements that we need to look at together. So what's this asking for? It's in in direct juxtaposition to, and direct contrast to, um, verses 7 through 8 here, where the Gentiles are just heaping up, he says, they're heaping up the hypocrites, and the Gentiles are just heaping up empty phrases. That they'll be heard for their many words. It's back to that Gandhi quote. They're throwing up words without heart. Gandhi says heart is more important than words. Um, he's hitting on a truth that Jesus is hitting on here. So, these are all linked because he starts off with, they, with just physical sustenance, right? We need more than bread. We need more than food. Jesus says that throughout the scriptures. Um, and it's said that we have to live on, we can't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, he says that here. And then he links it. He says, yeah, I get it. You need bread. But you also need these things. You know, physical sustenance isn't enough for daily living. You need forgiveness. You need deliverance. Those are necessary as well. So the next statement, throw this next slide up. When we are people that are characterized by faith, not, not anxiety, by forgiveness, not grudges, and by freedom in Christ, not by fear of sin, then we will be people that are living out our identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. Does that make sense? When we're characterized by faith, not anxiety, by forgiveness, which he's talking about here, not grudges, by freedom in Christ, not fear of sin. then we'll be people who live out our identity, destiny in Christ to influence our city. In the world. And that vision statement will become a reality. And then he goes into fasting here. And originally I was going to separate these two, prayer and fasting, but um, decided just to put this on the end here. So I'm going to hit this real quick. If you want a more extensive teaching on fasting, if you have questions about that, you can ask us about that later. Um, but fasting is there because what it does is it amplifies our prayer life. Imagine me playing... The uh, acoustic guitar up here um, and just playing it. And then imagine me plugging it into the speakers and then playing it. Like that's what fasting will do. It will amplify your prayer life. Not necessarily your prayers, although there is some force behind it. But fasting does something. We're abstaining physically for a spiritual purpose. So it does something in us. It kind of expedites and catalyzes. It speeds up. What we said prayer does, those three things, cultivating humility, dependence on God, um, and aligning ourselves with God's will. It kind of speeds that process up. So uh, there's just something about removing something from your life to focus on a spiritual purpose. It sharpens our prayers, it ignites our passions, um, it does all those things. So he puts fasting, fasting there, prayer and fasting are talked a lot about in the scriptures as as together. So um all right, why should we be praying community then? Why should we pray? Why should we be a community as Trinity Life that is a praying community? Why should that be a focus? <clears throat> when we moved up here, um God I just put this passage on my heart. I've been reading through the Gospel of Luke and he stopped me on Luke 5. And Luke 5 talks about a harvest. A harvest that um, happens when Jesus shows up at this point. um, Something happens in in this account. Like, you see this distinction like it changes from here to here when Jesus shows up on the scene. And he promises And he promised me a harvest at that point. He said, I brought you here in this city. Because when we moved here a year ago, it was like this. It was winter. Everyone was in hibernation. It was cold. I lived by the coast most of my life. Um, Never experienced a winter like this. And we came up here, and I was like, wow, where do we even start? Never lived in a city like this before. This is a unique city. Um, So I was like, wow, God, what are we doing?' Luke 5, he said, I brought you up here for this. That there's going to be a harvest of people who are going to impact the kingdom, who are going to come and follow me. So we need to be praying community because that's what we're about. We're about seeing people's lives transformed by the kingdom of God. We're about seeing people discover identity and destiny in Christ influencing our city and the world. The reality is we need to pray for that to happen. We need to be a praying people falling on our faces before God if we want to see the Spirit move in our city. So how do we do that? How do we become a praying community? Well, it's recognizing those things that we've already talked about. It's recognizing, and this is where Luke 11 comes back in. Um, I believe God taught me those things as I was reading through Luke 11. And I was stuck on Luke 11 for, I don't know, two months. So every time, think longer than that, every time I'd open my Bible, because I didn't know what God was trying to teach me. So every time for two, three months I'd open my Bible, I would read that passage before I read anything else. I would read the 11. So I was like, "What's? what are you trying to teach me? Um, and it wasn't until I realized that we need to be bold in asking, bold in praying, bold in saying, you are this type of God, and we expect you to do these type of things because you're a great God, that I realized, that um, <clears throat> that there's something missing in my prayer life. So, um, Peter Craig says, says this. He's a Catholic theologian. He says this in Back to Virtue, which is probably one... If it's not the top book, it's top three books I've read in my life, um, Back to Virtue. So if you like books, read that book. It is an amazing book. Um, so... He says this, prayer is a kind of death, a rehearsal for death. In praying, we die to ourselves, our will, our ordinary consciousness and desires and concerns, even our ordinary world, because we enter God's world, aligning our minds and wills with God's. We die to our time. We sacrifice our loaves. And fishes to him, just what we can bring to him. We sacrifice that to him, and then look what he does, and he multiplies them. This is why prayer is vital for the life of a believer. And because you're dying to yourself, and you're entering a world that, is, that should be natural, but has become unnatural to us because of sin, because of the fall. But it's a world that we were created for. And you recognize that when you pray. When you're, when you're accessing the God of the universe, identity and destiny are being built in you. But this is also why it's the first action of salvation for an unbeliever. is to look to God so I can't do it myself. Put aside our pride and pray. So if you are if you're a new believer... Um, if you're a believer in here who's a new believer who's been a believer for a long time, I'd encourage you to pray boldly, to pray for this vision statement to become a reality in our city, discover identity, destiny in Christ, influence our city and our world. Pray for that. Pray for that as a community. That's what we're here for. We want to see lives transformed for the kingdom. If you're an unbeliever and you're still like, prayer, I don't know, just try it. Maybe this next time that we give you will be the first time during our response time that you'll have ever prayed um, and just see what it does what it does in you if, if you're anything like Gandhi who was who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ it's it did something in him he recognized a voice and let me tell you that voice is God speaking to you we just haven't recognized it yet The moment that you recognize that that's God speaking to you is the moment of salvation. Let's pray. God, um, thank you so much for uh, just your willingness to give us access to you. We don't deserve it. Thank you for it. Thank you that you hear us, that you're faithful even when we're not, that you love us, And it was only because you loved us first, Jesus, that that we have love. So thank you for that. Cultivate a life of prayer and humility in us and make us a praying community who just falls on our faces before you, recognizing we're talking to the God of the universe, who is gracious, merciful, who is loving, who is compassionate, who is just, who is holy, and who desires the best. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.